This is episode number 160 with three-time country music drummer of the year, author, and motivational speaker, Rich Redmond. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. My name is Nick Carrier, lifestyle entrepreneur and fitness trainer. My goal is for you to gain more clarity on what the best version of yourself looks like, what the best version of yourself is capable of, and then to provide you with the tools, tips, and inspiration on how to make that person a reality. Today, I bring you the super energetic, the extremely positive, and the multi-talented Rich Redmond. Rich is a drummer, actor, author, speaker, podcast host. He does it all. Rich is best known for being the drummer for Jason Aldean over the past 20 years. Rich has also recorded, toured, and performed with Ludacris, Kelly Clarkson, Chris Stapleton, Kelsey Ballerini, and many others. In this episode, Rich and I talk about his decision to move to Nashville and all that he had to do to break into the music industry. We talk about how he met Jason Aldean. We talk about some of his best and worst experiences on tour, about his book, Crash Course for Success, and so much more. Make sure you take a screenshot of this episode when you're listening and post it to your Instagram stories and tag me at carrier underscore best you and tag rich at rich redmond to let us know your favorite part. Make sure you share this episode with a friend or family member to help them stay positive during the quarantine. This is the time when life has slowed down that we need to be working on educating ourselves, on equipping ourselves with more tools and more knowledge now so that we're better off when things start to return to normalcy. Take daily small steps towards success and bring others along with you. And if you're looking to get some at-home workouts done with no equipment, then go to nickcarrier.com fitness and pick up my ebook, The Bodyweight Grind. It's just $10. It's a four-week bodyweight workout program that is perfect during these times of quarantine. But for now, it's time. It's time to work on getting closer to the best version of yourself today with the super inspiring Rich Redmond. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. I am super fired up today. We're going to have a really high-energy episode, and I've just been looking forward to this one for a while. Now, I have the one and only, the legend, Rich Redman, with me today. So, Rich, I want to just start off by saying thanks for spending the time with me today. Hey, thanks for having me, man. And it, it was really funny today. You asked where I was, and I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> I had to look it up. That's hysterical. That's hysterical. It's perfect. It's very telling of what you do for your career. And it's just like a good, it's a good start. It's a good start. So, so Rich is a, a drummer, a motivational speaker, an actor, author, educator, basically most well known for being the drummer with Jason Aldean for the last 20 years or so. You met him back in 1999, but you've played with so many people, Garth Brooks, Ludacris, Kid Rock, and a whole host of others that I'm not going to, not going to list off, but you can, you can find online, but which is super cool. But the way I want to start today, I want to give everybody a little bit more of a background on you and give you a little bit more of a, a timeline kind of leading up to your career. So you grew up in Connecticut and you basically got, had your first drum lesson when you were about six years old or so. Then you moved to El Paso at age 11 and you played the drums in high school and everything like that, really loved them. Then you went to Texas Tech and played for the drum line at Texas Tech. And then you went to University of North Texas to get your master's degree in music education. And then after that, you lived in Dallas for a little bit. And this is kind of where I want to pick up about when you moved to Nashville in 1997 and how that happened, because I knew you were going kind of back and forth, going from audition to Nashville, back to Dallas. And I just want you to walk everybody through 
that decision of moving to Nashville. Cool, man. Yeah. It's Nick, you're a great host, man. You do your research. You know, I, a lot of people just say, tell me about yourself. And then they want to know all that stuff. And then you just save 20 minutes of the, of the interview right there. <laughs> yeah, it's good. I spent my formative years in Connecticut to like age 11. You know, that's where I caught the drum bug. And then moving to Texas was great because Texas has this awesome music education culture, you know, and they still do. You know, if I was going to be a full-time music educator, I would move to Texas because it's just, they really support the arts there. But, you know, the writing was on the wall in Dallas. You know, usually if you want to take your career to the next level in the arts, you have to move to New York or LA. And then there's this, the cousin of the coast, which is, you know, Nashville, you know, home of country music, home of Christian rock. Now we have, you know, rock bands getting signed from there. It's a really robust scene. I think it's really probably one of the last stops for the music business, you know, where people are all in a room making music at the same time together. I have friends in Los Angeles that are engineers and they have never tracked or recorded a live band. Usually it's just like, you know, a rapper and their entourage come in with like their loops and that's, that's the session, like two inputs, boom, boom, you know, but wow. so uh, wow. Nashville has this great culture of, of, of people uh, recording all at the same time. So I wanted to be part of that. I wanted to make my move. So I was actually thinking about moving to Los Angeles, but then I got the audition with Trisha Yearwood and Dina Carter and Barbara Mandrell all within um, three weeks of each other in February of 1997. And so after I maxed out my credit cards on the flights and the rental cars and hotels and all that stuff, I said, you know what, there's a bunch of people here in Nashville that appreciate my drumming. I don't know anybody in New York and LA. So I gave my band two weeks notice in Dallas and I moved to, to uh, Nashville and I moved on a Tuesday and I had a job on a Saturday. You know, it wasn't a life changing job. I was playing with a wedding band wearing a tuxedo, but but, you know, I tell all the people that want to chase their dreams in life that, you know, uh, sometimes you have to take a step back to take a step forward. And I took a step back financially for many years. Accomplishments in Dallas, but nobody really cared in Nashville. I had to reprove myself. And you'll find that in life, that you're never done. Uh, you're always paying dues and you're always having to prove yourself. I'm only as good as the next time I play drum. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really like that. But let, let's stick with one thing, actually. So when you first moved here, you got a lot of kind of those those type jobs, right? A lot of different odd kind of gigs. You had some odd jobs and, and, and things like that. What's maybe one of the most important decisions that you made earlier on when you moved here that you didn't realize the significance of? Until uh, you know, I said yes to everything. I mean, it's like I found myself in like basements where it was like Silence of the Lambs type situation where it's like, what am I doing in this creepy basement? You know, answering ads in the back of the Nashville scene, drummer wanted, you know, because I remember that, that Kid Rock and Bruce Springsteen and Kiss all found their drummers through drummer wanted ads. So I, I went to these these auditions, man, and I did all sorts of things for free and I showed up and I was the first one there and the last one to leave and I tried to exceed expectations and I shook hands and one handshake and one recommendation led to another and it, it took a long time to, to catch fire, but I said yes to everything and I'm finding that with a lot of the kids that are coming and I don't want to sound like an old man, like get off my lawn, you know, but uh, <laughs> I, I there's a lot of kids that are moving to Nashville that are very selective about the things. They have a plan. They're very methodical. Maybe they're smart and they had money saved. When I moved to Nashville, I moved with like nothing, like nothing saved because I had an attitude like, I have my tens of thousands of hours. I'm a nice guy. I'm likable. And they call it a five-year town because on average, it takes about five years for people to um, cultivate enough relationships to quit their day job. You know, so my day jobs were parking cars and waiting tables and 
teaching kindergarten and then playing in the clubs every night. But I said yes to everything. And that's something that I would still highly recommend because you never know where that opportunity is going to come from. And sometimes the strangest situation will lead to the biggest opportunity. Yeah. Why do you, why do you think that people hold themselves back from saying yes to everything? Like what do you, what do you think is the difference between somebody like you who does say yes to everything and somebody who doesn't say yes to everything? Do you think it's a lack of commitment or like literally just not thinking that it's going to pay off? Or like, what do you think the, the difference is between those two people? Oh, for me, it was just a blind faith and a work ethic. Like, you know, when I was just raking leaves and I had a paper out and I shoveled snow and I was, I always had some sort of before, like I was 10 years old. So the idea was that if I just work really hard and I'm constantly showing up and I'm always when you when I play my drums, I'm advertising my product, which is me, right? So the more times I say yes, I get to advertise my product, which means it'll be a broader reach. So I don't know. I think it's just that faith in your ability and not being afraid to shout from a mountaintop, hey, this is what I do. Hear me roar, you know, and doing it unapologetically. And maybe the guys that are moving to town now, maybe, I mean, maybe they're the smart ones. Maybe they're the ones that have a very direct vision and a plan and they know how to connect the dots and make it all happen and they can be selective. When you have money saved, you can be really selective. But maybe that was a blessing for me. I had no money. So literally I had to say yes to everything just to try to pay the bills. But at the same time, I was spreading my seed. I was, people were like, oh, there's that guy again. There's that guy again. There's there's that guy. Boom, boom. And sometimes it takes 10 times for people to see you doing your thing and have that story corroborated by many other people before they start to trust you. Because there's people in my phone literally that have me on speed dial. They will take me first before anyone else. But when I moved to Nashville 23 years ago, they wouldn't be associated with me because I was unproven. You know, and so you have to prove your talents. And how do you do that? By doing as many things as possible to showcase your abilities. You know, I live and yeah. die by that. Yeah. You know, but I said, maybe these kids that are moving to town now, maybe they're, they're like, no, I don't want to play on lower Broadway for tips. You know, I want to do this, this, and this. And this is how I know I can get there. For me, I was like, I'll do anything. I'll play classical, I'll play jazz, I'll play Latin, I'll play funk, I'll play your supermarket grand opening, I'll back up the mime and the juggler at the carnival, I'll play the strip club. There's probably a lot of different reasons that people, you know, either are very selective of what they do or they just say yes to everything. But something that I heard you say that I think is really important, it sounds like a, like a mindset shift. If you make the shift in your head that you are playing because you have a chance to advertise your product, like every opportunity to go play is a chance to advertise your product. And then I also interviewed country music singer Jimmy Allen, and he always saw an opportunity as a chance to just practice his craft and as a chance to see what he was capable of and just continually improve, improve, improve. So if you have the mindset that I'm either going to be like advertising my product every single time or just practicing on my craft every single time, then you're more willing to actually go out there and take on as many different gigs as you yeah, can. Totally. Yeah. He's coming on my show, man. He's Oh, that's awesome. So uh, I'm going to move forward to 1999. You had, uh, I just want you to actually walk everybody through about how you kind of got into meeting Jason Aldean. And then after you got into meeting him, what were your first impressions of him as a person and him as an artist? Sure. Yeah. I met a young uh, Jason Aldean in 1999 through the guys that are in Jason Aldean's band right now. So the timeline was 
1997, I was playing in uh, Kurt Allison, who I've been playing with for 23 years now. He's Jason's guitar player. Uh, we had done two years of playing together. He championed me and recommended me to Jason's bass player, Tully Kennedy, who was in charge of putting Jason Aldean's band together in 1999. So always relationships and recommendations and people championing each other. That was a life-changing thing for me to impress Kurt and become friends with Kurt who had faith in my abilities and liked me as a person, recommended me to Tully. I did a job with Tully and Kurt. They love me. They brought me to Jason. I met a young Jason who was signed to uh, Warner Chapel Music, and he was being produced by my still friend and longtime producer of Jason Aldean, Michael Knox. Michael Knox liked me. Jason liked me. We all hit it off as people. And uh, Jason was going in a positive direction. His whole camp was really fantastic. They liked me. And then we just cultivated this relationship moving forward, 1999 to 2004, we showcased Jason 40 times for all the labels in Nashville. We did demos, we played shows while doing day jobs and playing with a million other recording artists. And then when Jason got signed in 2004, he was like, well, I already got my band. I've been working with these guys for five years and we get along musically and personally and professionally. So then we just picked up, recorded the first record, and have been on tour nonstop for 16 years. So you never know, every time you go to play or promote your craft or work in your field, you are constantly being watched by someone and you're one handshake away from a door opening to a life-changing experience. You know, if I had mailed in one of those performances, I wouldn't have been recommended and then I wouldn't have gotten this job that allowed me to, as a musician, buy a house, buy cars, have wives, you know, the whole thing, you know, and, and that's really hard to come by as a musician because it's very unstable. There's no, I mean, the best thing you can do as a musician is to have a steady job in, in, in this crazy changing industry. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I really like how you talked about how you had to build relationships through every single time you were there, like giving it your best effort. Because one of my sayings that I like to say is show up and show out because I think a lot of people, nowadays use the term like showing up and that's like the most important factor like get there and that's enough kind of thing like, especially in the gym people use that all the time like just show up and that's good i'm like showing up sometimes like i, I agree with the idea of showing up and, and being consistent but like you have to bring your best foot forward every single time like the more that you can be the best version of yourself in every scenario that you're in the more chances you're going to have to move up and whatever it is and whatever it is you're trying to move up yeah. in for sure. Yeah. I mean, Woody Allen says that, you know, success is like 99% of success is just showing up, right? I mean, be there, be there on time and be open and flexible and be able to take direction and be likable and always be working your craft at the highest level. But yeah, showing up to the gym is better than, than not showing up. And then yeah. burning a few calories is better than burning none. But hey, if you're going to be there, you might as well kick ass. Right, exactly. So you said 2004 is when uh, he got signed. At what point did you kind of realize that like this, this was going to be different than all the other people that you have played with, all the other gigs that you've had, all the other people that you had met? When, when was kind of the point where it's like, this is different? Well, we were a band of brothers. You know, you had four guys that are on the road. 
you know, bringing music to the people and trying to turn those five drunks into 50 and then coming back next time and trying to turn them into 250 and then 500. And we had a great thing going. So whether it was working or not, we were having a great time. And you never know really if you're, you're only one song away from failure in the music business. You know, we put out a song called Relentless off of his sophomore release and it didn't do as well as the other songs. We were getting all getting really nervous. But, uh, you know, the music God smiled upon us and it was just a great combination of everything coming together. The artist, his management team, the songs he selected, country radio, the country music channels, the venues we were playing, his booking agent. He had a great band and a great support system. It, it was all coming together in perfect synchronicity and it took forever to build like Jason's career and my career as a touring musician, just where, you know, when you're climbing to go up the roller coaster, that anticipation, it was just slow. I mean, some acts, they shoot to the top and then it's a fast fall as well because they haven't put in that, they haven't greased the, the wheels, man, and put in all that blood and sweat and cheer equity that it takes to really feel it and earn it and deserve it and then, and then have that staying power. Yeah. I got you. So, like you said, you've been touring now for like 16 years or so. What do you, what's a piece of advice that you would give young rich Redmond about life on the road or or touring? Well, I'll give I'll give uh, people advice that want to do it. Never leave your your suitcase at the hotel. Take your luggage with you wherever you go because that's your lifeline. You're living out of it, and if something happens. You always have your stuff with you. You're not like, oh, I forgot that at the hotel. Or just always have your suitcase with you. Your backpack. Always have your backpack with your suitcase and your backpack. Never pass up a hot meal and never pass up a hot shower. That's hysterical. That's awesome. So of all the people that you've played with, is there anybody who's like the most interesting person that stood out to you that had any like... Not, not, not necessarily like the person that you liked playing with the most, but just like the most interesting person. Mm. I like that everybody that I have played music with um, has, been, has been kind and supportive and you could see why they're successful because there's a lot of people that are, say, like at the mid-level or they're trying to get there into celebrity and they're not, sometimes they're not the nicest people and you could see why they haven't made the leap. And there are other people that like, okay, so Bob Seger, you know, uh, iconic singer, knew all of our names in the band, actually knows all of our songs, and is a fan of our music. So that was awesome. Garth Brooks, I played with him uh, two songs at uh, CRS with Jason. He came, stopped me in the hallway and was like, man, that is one hell of a band. That was fun. Brian Adams, I said, uh, hey, man, how's the tempos? Do you, he says, you're the drummer. Sounds great. You know, ludicrous, smiling back at me, winking at me. Kelly Clarkson sings the phone book. You know, looks back, smiles. I mean, these people are all super nice people who've earned their stripes, man. And so it's nice to share the stage with nice people, you know, and that's been a model for me in my career. I just surround myself with like-minded people, birds of a feather, people that have similar goals and mindsets. And um, yeah, I think I've worked for some less nice people. I mean, even before I moved to Nashville, I played a lot of one-nighters with people like, you know, Steve Allen, the original host of The Tonight Show, and Phyllis Diller, and all these kind of like epic jazz celebrity musicians and entertainers. And, and that was fun. And it trained me how to like quickly meet someone I've never met, read the room, be able to take suggestions, be in that moment, give them what they need, and go home. I want to stay on that then, um, because like you said, you've kind of 
grown this ability through meeting so many different kinds of people to be able to connect with somebody on a pretty pretty quickly and kind of read the room like you said. So what's something that you've learned about how to build a, a sincere relationship in a, in a quick manner? Like how, how, how best to do that with somebody? Yeah. Oh man, it goes back to the old school. Um, look people in the eye, smile, firm handshake. You do those three things, you've already leveled the playing field and are connecting on a human level and are letting people know that you're not too cool, you can smile. A smile can like change everything and it works across cultural barriers, language barriers, just a smile. It's all you have to do to let the world know that you're you're positive and happy. And then another cool thing to do is just, I'm not big on small talk, but just, you know, fun you know, how you doing? Great to see you. Oh, so cool to be here. I can't wait to play some music with you. Whatever you need, bum, bum, bum. You find some common interest. I put this thing down. This is my phone. I put it down face down on the table. And for 30 minutes, I give that person my undivided attention. They will remember that forever because people are so used to being pulled in a million different directions and never really receiving the full attention from people. I had a guy interviewed me like granted he was a young journalist like very young but he interviewed me yesterday the guy was holding the mic in some other weird direction he was asking me questions and then I was I said answer you or answer the through the lens of the camera and he said talk to me great so I'm answering the questions he's looking everywhere all around not giving me a test like I'm answering you connect with me like give people your full attention and like actually listen to what the hell they're saying you know that human yeah. connection man yeah it's, it seems like it's such a simple thing but like that's one of the reasons why i love doing the podcast so much is because there are not that many opportunities to be able to just sit down with somebody like phone put away and have like a long like actual conversation with them and this is a great outlet to be able to do that and i'm sure that's what you've kind of experienced with your own show yeah so yeah it's nice it, you know it's nice just to laugh and yeah. learn and spend yeah. one hour with someone, you know, and then it's public record, which is great. And then other people are the voyeurs and they can come out and, and they can consume that conversation at any time and they can pull out their favorite nuggets. And, and uh, I think podcasting is a, man, it's, it's, it's the future. You talk a lot about how you should kind of go into things with not all the answers. Sometimes like, you know, dive head first uh, and be willing to take a risk, be willing to, to fail. So is there any one thing that happened at a particular show or a particular concert where like something bad happened or something just like went wrong and you're like, oh, we can't ever have that happen again. I had to like make some sort of like pre-show adjustment or something like that. That was a big learning moment for you that you can't have happen on any other concert moving forward. <laughs> Well, I'm a, I'm a real boy scout, you know, but I've had my drum tech um, for almost a decade now. He's like half my age. He's like my son. He's a great kid. You guys should get in the gym together, man. This kid is like, he does like 500 pushups a day and like runs 10 miles. And he's just like, he's like a little behemoth. Um, yeah. Great yeah. kid. But before him, like for six years, I was my own drum tech, which meant that when I pulled into the city, the drums would be removed from the trailer. I would have to take them out of their cases, set them up, change the heads, maintain them, clean them. In the early days, we were playing a lot of rodeos, so there'd be like cow dust and cow poo all over my awesome drums. And I'd have to set these things up, mic them up, do the sound check, right? And then I would probably go across town and play a clinic at a 
university or a high school or a music store, come back, play the show with Aldine. A lot of drums, a lot of stuff, a lot of energy. So he's taking care of all that for me now. But back in the day, I was such a Boy Scout. I would have two of everything because what if you're in the middle of the show and the bass drum beater goes through the bass drum and you're in front of 15,000 people? You got to be able to remedy these things quickly or you go through the snare drum hit. You got to pull up the snare drum quickly. Crack a cymbal. You got to have cymbals ready to go. So I was such a Boy Scout, always overprepared. So that still is kind of the case today. Even though I have him, we have remedy and electrical fire on stage with me. I'm like, oh, surely there's someone's going to get like this. I don't know. I can't stop playing. And so the drummer for Tyler Farm, my buddy Marcos, Rich is on fire. And everyone's like, yeah, man, it's a great night. He's kicking it. He's like, no, he's on fire. And so they got to bring the drum riser slowly down. It only moves so fast. And then they come on stage. They're extinguishing the electrical fire. Never missed a beat. The song never stopped. The show goes on. But they were like, we got to look at, you know, what if that happens again? Or how, do, how can we not make that ever happen again? You know, so, you know, every time I'm sitting on stage, I'm looking up and there's like 10 thousand tons of heavy stuff hanging over my head so i'm thinking to myself oh my god i could be just crushed like a cockroach at any second so i have to force myself not to look up and think about that kind of stuff because whoo a lot of danger in the music business yeah no doubt no doubt so I just listened to uh, your audio book, uh, Crash Course for Success, Five Ways to Supercharge Your Personal and Professional Life. And it was awesome. And I love how you were the, uh, you know, it's funny. I've listened to, I don't, I usually read the books that I have, or I usually read. I don't like to necessarily always listen on Audible. And one of the reasons is for some reason when I listen on Audible, I can't always pay attention. But for whatever reason, I was like so locked into yours. I think you're really good at just like, just like reading it yourself. But anyway, what I want to get into, one of the the A of crash is attitude. So what do you think is something that you do maybe like every single day that allows you to go into every single day with just a positive attitude and every single like performance that you have, every single speech that you give, every single podcast that you host, what allows you to go in with a good attitude? Do you have a specific daily habit or just what's most important for you in order to get to that positive attitude? Oh, nice. Great question. Yeah. So, so crash is just an acronym, you know, for your, for your listeners. And so it stands for commitment, relationships, attitude, skill, and hunger. So these are five things that anyone from any walk of life can use to enjoy a more satisfying uh, personal and professional life. And let's face it, we take our personal life into our professional life, you know, so the the happier we are in our personal life, it's going to be better, you know, and vice versa. And they both influence each other So those five tenants you can use individually, but if you use them together, you're getting a lot closer to being unstoppable as a human being. So attitude, you know, is when I do my speeches, I say, why does every motivational speaker in the planet talk about attitude? Because I really do feel like it's 99.9% of life. It really is. It's it's the one thing that people will always remember. So the things you pay in a positive frame of mind is you feel better about yourself. And especially if you do it first thing in the morning, you can approach your day. When I get it done first thing in the morning, I like feel like I've already accomplished something, you know, boom. And I my day is better. You can listen to positive music. You can watch your favorite movie. You can hang out with birds of a feather, your friends um, that are like-minded. You can eat colorful food. You know, these are hacks for yourself that you can kind of use to stay 
on track and redirect. But, you know, exercise and positive music are really two big ones that you can use. The other thing I just say to myself is like, look at, look at all the things you have. Like, so you can go over a gratitude list. So I do my gratitude list a lot of times, like before I go to bed or when I get up in the morning or when I'm in the shower and that hot water is, and it's very meditative. I'll go like, look at, I got my health. I got a roof over my head. I got a car to get around. I have a beautiful family. I got a girlfriend that loves me. I have the greatest friends in the world. I love my job. What is there to be upset about, right? And so then it just redirects, you know, your thought process. And then I say, oh my God, why would I be upset right now? I got David Cook from American Idol coming over to my house and we're going to have an hour conversation and we're going to put this on the interwebs and people are going to actually listen to this. Like, and we're going to laugh and learn. We're going to drink coffee. I got my favorite sidekick pal, Jim McCarthy next to me. It's like, there's nothing to be upset about. Nothing. Yeah. So I just, if you just think about the things that you're grateful for in your life and all the cool things you have going on, usually the amount of cool things are going to outweigh the bad things. Yeah. No, no, I love that. And actually, something that you that you mentioned earlier, uh, I watched your speech for the Happiness Hall of Fame or the Happiness Hall of Fame, I think it was. And you mentioned about creating a happiness playlist. And I have, I I now have a, a happiness playlist on Spotify. It's I don't have too many songs on it right now, but I've started creating that, and it, it's like it definitely helps for sure. Oh man, you're a great host, Nick. Great host. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Um, so now, one of the things that you've been more recently getting into and you've done, you've done a number of roles thus far but you're getting into acting a lot so what is one of the things that has been a biggest unexpected challenge for you now taking on this new pursuit if you will yeah you know what's really funny is that everything i do in my life there's no safety net there's no 401k there's no insurance and there's no there's no anything and they're all failure businesses the music business is a failure business the speaking business is a failure business. The authoring game is a failure business. The podcasting game is a failure business. And, and so is acting. I mean, acting is like everybody calls himself an actor. Every barista in the world, every guy parking cars calls himself an actor. Um, the thing that they don't do, a lot of these folks that call themselves actors in Los Angeles is they don't train. They don't take classes. They're just like, well, I'm beautiful and I have, I have a six pack, so surely I'll get roles, right? And then they get on set and they suck, right? So, so the key to a lot of things is just education. And I mean, that's what worked for me in drumming is taking lessons from age six and still taking lessons with my celebrity drummer friends and always trying to improve. And, you know, if you feel like you're done learning, dude, that's like the first nail in the coffin right there. Because if you're not growing, changing, evolving, and learning, you're rotting on the vine and you're losing your relevancy. So for me, um, as an actor, I just train and train and train uh, when I can. The biggest problem is my schedule because I'm already a full-time musician. So even something as simple as um, auditioning for a toothpaste commercial, you know, I get the call from my agent, I go and I read for the commercial on a Monday. If they want me for a call back, that's on Tuesday. And then they say, okay, this thing shoots Friday and Saturday in Long Beach. And I'm looking at my schedule thinking, all right, Friday and Saturday, I'm in Des Moines, Iowa and Fargo, North Dakota. So I can't do the commercial. So, so everything that I've been able to do in that industry so far has been based on relationships and someone championing and saying, hey, I got a $2 million movie I'm doing and I want you to play this part and when can you shoot your scene, you know? So, so that's kind of how I'm kind of like approaching that whole thing, but it's just scheduling. There's only seven days a week 
And usually on a Saturday, I'm gonna be behind a set of drums. So in the meantime, I just try to think positively and train really hard so that the acting skill set is undeniable. And then it's the same thing in that industry is, you know, you gotta have all the current stuff. Your reels gotta be current. Your headshots gotta be current. And then you have to have your good relationship with your agents and then just being present. And when you get the opportunity, having that skill set together, you know, but the, the, the schedule is just so challenging. But um, let's see, uh, third week of March through the end of April, I'll be in LA and I'll be taking tons of classes. Nice. So of these classes then you're learning like specific skills for acting, what's one of the, maybe the, one of the biggest skills that you learned that you didn't think you were going to maybe have to learn? Like what's been an unexpected thing that's been like, huh, like I would not have expected that from trying to be an actor. Mm, Great question. Um, Well, there's a lot of technical things like, you know, hitting your mark and um, learning about your frame and camera angles and, uh, you know, and then all the jargon and terminology that directors and producers like to throw around. But for the most part, it's really like playing music, which it's it's a form of communication and it's about being present in that very moment. And even though you may have forgotten to pick up um, almond milk that you need because your girlfriend said we need almond milk and, or you forgot to pay the mortgage. Like you can't remember, you can't worry about those things. You have to be connecting with that other human being in that moment. And that is your job. Right. And so the same thing with music, it's like, I might be thinking about, Oh my God, I forgot the almond milk. And I told Oh my God, it's Valentine's day and sent a Valentine's day card to my mom. Well, she's used to getting it late. Anyways, your mind is wandering and I've, and I've got 15,000 people there that want to hear the exact drum part. I got a band looking at me. They're looking for that fire, that drive, that energy. I can't be thinking about almond milk and Valentine's Day. I have to be in that moment completely present, which goes back to that idea of when you're around people. If you can put your phone down and give them your full attention, that'll create a lasting memory with that person and you'll make the sale. You'll increase your friendship. It, they'll remember that forever. So, um, the acting thing is just about being in that moment. And I think that anybody in any line of work can benefit greatly from taking an acting class or an improv comedy class because improv comedy is like, talk about no net. It's like someone just says squid eggs, Malibu. And then these actors come out and you have to create something out of nothing in front of a live audience. And it is it is like fear factor, man, you know, but you just do it and then you come out the other side and you go, wow, I did that. And then you do it again and again. And it just, it makes you brave, you know, and let's face it, this world that we're living in is like, even if you work in corporate America for one of the fortune 100 and you've been there for 20 years at any second, budget cuts will come and the ax falls and you no longer have a job and now you're self-employed. But guess what? You're pretty much, I've been an, an entrepreneur or self-employed the entire time. Great job at the moment. But at any moment, you're gonna, you can be out of butt. And so we're all kind of like entrepreneurs. So yeah, it's tough out there, man. But uh, yeah, that was a long answer. No, it was good though. You went a lot of dire- a lot of different directions, but it was all good stuff. And it's funny. I've actually I took a, an improv class here in Nashville just simply as kind of a thing to get me out of my comfort zone, and it was super uh, uncomfortable for sure. But it definitely makes you be. Where did you take that? 
So it was a it was a class. I didn't actually have to perform in front of people, but it was just like with Nashville Improv. I think was the company that ran it or whatever. But uh, I tell you what, it definitely requires you to be locked in and, and present and focused and and that sort of thing. That's for sure. Um, get out of your head, you know. Get out of your head. Our, you know, we, us overthinking as human beings is like a is a problem, you know. Oh, 100%. And, and I think it, I 100% think it's a skill that is just simply practiced. Like you, you never master it. It's not something that's just going to flip a switch overnight. It's literally just going to be practiced. And one of the things that you said is like, if you can put down your phone, then, then do it. And I think that like the, the question of like, if you can, I think most of the time people can, they think they can't, but it's like, what's the What's the worst thing that's going to happen if you respond to an email or you have to like respond to a call or a text message a little bit late? Like for the most part, like 95, 99% of those times, it's not going to be that big of an ordeal if you have to respond a little bit later. Yeah. For me, you know what it is? It's, it's the Christmas game. If I, since I have no alert sounds on and no ringtones, the phone's in my back pocket. So say I'm hanging out with my sexy girlfriend. She goes to the bathroom. And most likely, all of us as human beings will just make sure that we're putting out fires really quickly when the other person's gone. I look up, I got, wow, 10 texts and two missed calls. And it's like Christmas. You're like, wow, look at all these people. They really like me. And then you could respond to, like right then, you, boom, you knock it all out. It's like, so you're pleasantly surprised every time the, you look at your phone as opposed to, you know, the folks that have like notifications on for Instagram that would kill me like notifications coming in all day. You know, some, somebody from China liked my photo. I don't need to know that. If I want to know that I'll just open the app, but notifications are, I think the death of us as well, because it's this overload of information that's coming in all day long. That's disturbing us and keeping us off the path of us doing things like going to the gym to the gym or working on our business or being present in the moment with an actual human being, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, I have I have my phone. I try to have my phone on do not disturb for like 75% of the day because of that. So one of the things that I think a lot of people struggle with now is being patient with their career, being patient with just about anything. And so what is something and it could be pertaining to you right now or something maybe that you did in the past. What are what is something that you could do to be patient with the moving along of your career because i think like it's supposed to take time like the good things are supposed to take time so like for example with you with you and acting like you can't 100 percent commit all your time and energy to it so you have to be patient with it so like what's maybe something you're doing now that allows you to be patient along the journey and what's something that people can do to be patient with their journey yeah yeah well you know while you're waiting for that next opportunity just train you know just yeah. train in your craft and 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 move your skill set along and be positive and work on the things that you can control. So as you know, as a trainer, you can always be working on your nutrition and your, your fitness and you could always be, you know, like dr the aging drummer. It's a very interesting thing because there's this thing called ageism. You know, thank God I have this great job, but I used to look like you. I used to have this beautiful black hair and then it started to get gray and then I colored my hair for like over a decade and then one day, I missed a couple of hair appointments and, and the gray started coming in and girls were like, I love that. Don't touch that. And I just let it go all the way gray. But there's this, this thought that like, Oh my God, am I, you know, am I 
am I thin enough? Am I wearing the right clothes that the hipster kids want? It's like, it's a thing in this entertainment business, right? So I, it's, I just try to work on the things that I can work on. Am I getting to the gym? Am I wearing the cool clothes? Am I taking my drum lessons? Am I studying my acting? Am I working on my marketing and my business? Just work on the things you can control until that next opportunity comes. And guess what? The opportunity is going to come because you're actively working in your craft and it, it, and it feels like it's inching along. I mean, I've been in my speaking career. I mean, I would, my goal is to also be an international speaker making millions and I want to do that. That's like, and I, and I'll say it unapologetically because I've been working on that speech and working on that concept for so long. And I think it's okay to, to put a, a gold dollar value on your time and your talent. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I think to myself, am I any closer to this? Well, it's really hard because I'm playing the drums so much that for an organization to hire me as a speaker, they kind of have to do it around my schedule, which means that my product and my speech has to be so undeniable that people want me, not just a guy that speaks about disruption, leadership, success, motivation, right? Because there's a million of those. And it's the same thing at the acting thing. They can't just have, they just can't want a guy with dark skin with salt and pepper hair, 5'7". They have to want me. Right. Which means yeah. that my products have to be undeniable. So someone is going to champion me to not just pick somebody that has those things because there's a million of those people out there. They have to want me specifically. So that's frustrating. You know, I would like to be doing more speeches, but it's all about the schedule. It's all yeah. about the scheduling. When you're an entrepreneur and you do multiple things, there's only one Saturday night a week, you know, but this is not really a problem because when you put it all together, at the end of the day, I'm doing something creative every single day, which is awesome. I'm either teaching or I'm speaking or I'm playing or recording or acting or writing on my books or trying to mentor or consult or do my podcast. That's all great stuff, you know, you put it all together. Yeah, yeah, no, but I, I like what you said in terms of just like working on your own craft and just like making that as polished as possible because like you you referred to earlier like you and Jason Aldean's like climbing career you had to make sure you greased the wheels and you had to make sure that you worked on y'all's on yourself so that when you hit a, a point of success then it then it was sustainable you didn't just you didn't just fall off yeah we were ready we we're ready for it last couple of questions are a couple that I like to ask all my guests so I think that for me, the goal of this this podcast is to help others gain clarity on what the best version of themselves looks like and what the best version of themselves is capable of, and then to help provide them the tools, tips, and inspiration on how to make that person a reality. And I think that it is really important to get close to the best version of yourself is to like every single day try to figure out what that best person should look like and could look like. And so one of the one of the questions I have for you is what is a skill or a piece of knowledge? that the best version of yourself has that you don't currently have? Skills or knowledge? Well, um, hmm. I think that we're all, my goal is to keep growing and learning in all areas of my life. You know what I mean? So like becoming a better musician, becoming a better actor, becoming a better speaker, all these different facets of the things that I do always evolving and growing in those, in those areas. Um, yeah. 
So nice. yeah, I think I, I think I think I have everything I need. You know, I mean, it's worked so far. I'm coming up on fifty. You know, and I've paid my yeah. bills doing the creative arts. I just want to keep growing and getting better at all those things, so I can stay relevant, continue to do these things at a higher and higher level. You know. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, I love it. I love that. So uh, before I ask the last question, I want to start by acknowledging you, Rich, because I think that your persistence over the long haul has been something that's just like not seen like all that often. It's, it's, it's unmatched how hardworking that you've been throughout so many different creative industries, if you will, or creative endeavors that you've taken on i think it, i think it's so cool that you kind of go, gone into these so many different of these failing industries like you say um and have just worked 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 so hard in, in all of them and uh and have continued to be more and more successful and i know that you're just going to continue like you just said to be more and more skillful and knowledgeable in those areas so i think this is super cool Thanks so much, Nick. I, you know, I appreciate it. You know, when I, I did a little speech yesterday for a bunch of school kids, uh, well, it was grades eight to 12. And I told them, I said, if you're passionate about something, it's so easy to work hard and to continually be persistent because you love it so much. So that's why it's so important to choose the passion. And the sooner that kids can choose something they're passionate about, they'll wake up with a smile every day and they'll work harder, which, you know, if you love something, it doesn't feel like hard work, which allows you to work harder and harder. So, and that persistence is just a key word. Just do not stop. When you stop, you're at the back of the line. So just persist. And even if you're just making incremental improvements every day, you are growing. So passion and persistence. Yeah, love that message. Well, I want to make sure people are going to want to learn more from you and, and get more from you. So where can people uh, support you online and where can people find your stuff? And, and what are you most excited about that you're working on right now? Oh man, thanks. Um, yeah, man, I spent a lot of money on the new richredmond.com. It's uh, rich, R-E-D-M-O-N-D.com. And it looks good. Yeah, thank you. You can learn about my drumming and my speaking and my books and the podcast and acting, all that stuff. It's all there. It's kind of a fun hub. Um, you know, I have a YouTube channel for the drummers out there. I've got like 500 videos on there of me performing, which is kind of fun. It's just youtube.com slash rich redmond on all the socials it's just my name you know and all the kids are on the instagram now so you know follow me i'll follow you and uh yeah the books out there the uh, the audible book um i need some more love you know i don't know it's it, for some reason i thought it would be very very popular but if you want to take me to your workout or to your uh to your uh, commute you know i'll read that i'll read the book to you and it's like i think it's like three and a half hour investment which is really really fun and yeah. um yeah, everybody stay in touch. I'm a I'm a sitting duck on the Google Nader and I I always respond to every message, email, direct message. I'm I'm pretty easy to find. Sweet. Well, good deal. Well, good deal. I'll make sure I get all those linked up and everything. Well, Rich, the last question is, I think that becoming the best version of yourself is a constant journey. I don't think that we're ever at that 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 best version, and I also think it's a unique journey. I think the way that I'm going to become the best version of myself is going to be a little bit different than the way that you get to the best version of yourself. So what I want to ask for you personally is if there are three things that you could do or three things that you could work on to get closer to that best version of yourself, what are those three things that you could do or work on? Mm. Uh, let me see. For people, I think I think uh, I think you would agree with me to get consistent exercise, which has always been a challenge in my life. A consistent exercise, do that uh, gratitude list or some sort of meditation, 
and write down your goals and execute on them if you can. So exercise is the foundation for so many things, especially consistency, which I'm always trying to get that. And then some sort of a meditation thing or something that is meditative for you. And then just working on, you know, your craft and writing down your goals, you know, and, and then and then not letting yourself off the hook and trying to be accountable to those goals, you know. And like I said, sometimes you have to take a step back to take a step forward. So I wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation with you if I didn't leave Dallas, Texas and go boldly into the night in Nashville, you know, knowing no one. So, yeah, I think you should be should be brave and you should be unapologetic in anything you do. I love it. I love it. Well, those are just, uh, three great things. I really appreciate it, Rich. Uh, thanks for spending the time with me today. Uh, I know you're on the road and everything like that and super busy. So I really appreciate it. Well, man, you're a great host, Nick, and thanks for having me and keep in touch and you're doing a great thing here, man. And uh, we'll see you next time. Good deal. Yeah, appreciate it. There you have it. I hope you enjoyed this awesome episode with Rich. To learn more about Rich, be sure to go to richredmond.com. There you can grab his book, Crash Course for Success, which talks a lot about his life and his secrets to success. It's an awesome read with so many great stories and great tips. Also, be sure to check out his podcast, The Rich Redmond Show. It's on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and anywhere you can find podcasts. If you enjoyed the episode, then let me know by sending me and Rich a quick DM on Instagram at carrier underscore best you and at Rich Redmond to let us know your favorite part. Rich found himself a profession in which he was willing to do whatever it took to be successful. He's been willing to do the oddest jobs in Nashville from substitute teaching to working at comedy clubs in order to gain more experience, grow his circle of contacts, and work on his craft. To all of you out there listening, I just want to say how much I appreciate you. You're using your time wisely during this time to learn, improve, and grow. You're being proactive to grow yourself now so that you're better equipped when we return to normalcy. Believe me, it will pay off. For now, it's time. It's time to take action each and every day. Define a daily success and attack it. Then rinse and repeat. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay positive, and work on getting closer and closer to your best you.